that thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul. Whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. I just want to say right away, mm-hmm. I know I'm wearing a Chicago Cubs t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Your rivals. I know. And I just want to call it out right now. It's because it's a really soft vintage t-shirt. And I just, you know... It matches one, these pants. One soft shirt, and you're ready ready to throw away your Cleveland loyalty. No, I am still all about Cleveland. Cleveland Guardians, Guardians. 100%. I finally got the history behind why it's called that, so I'm excited mm-hmm. that I understand now. But, uh, I mean... Oh, yeah, when we were in Cleveland recently, we got to see the little the Guardians, Guardians yeah. which you'd probably seen growing up, but I hadn't. Well, I didn't even realize they were there, honestly. But oh, really, okay. we're Dodgers fans, is true, the truth. True, true. So... But I will say Guardians, pretty cool. Those little statues on this old bridge in Cleveland. Yeah. It, I was like, oh, okay. Now okay, I get it. I get it. I get it's it. not Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. I was like, <laughs> uh, I thought they were going to go back to Cleveland Spiders. They mm-hmm. didn't. But it's it's all fine. But I just want to say this now because so many of our fans know I'm from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I love everything about Cleveland. I know that we lost to them. I'm not a uh. traitor. <laughs> I'm not. It's just a really soft t-shirt. Okay, God, stop judging me. Uh, looking forward to some horror once again. Uh, new Scared to Death playing cards in the store now, badmagicmerch.com, and they're so cool. They're so cool, and they're I love so it. They're so cool. Because we're a game family. Mm-hmm. We R- both played it growing up with our grandparents. Rummy, specifically. Mm-hmm. We both played Rummy growing up. I mean, your family doesn't play it correctly, but that's fine. That's fine. We have regional rules. Um, but yeah, I've been playing like card games with you know with my ki- it's my grandparents since like before I went to school. Yeah. I remember doing like little penny poker games. Oh, cute. Cute. And then, yeah, you were playing Rummy growing up, and so mm-hmm. we still play card games with the kids today, with the grandparents, the family, everybody. Everybody, all very sides. Very cool. Yeah. And we both like, like, interesting decks of cards from, like, travels and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've bought them in this various places. Yeah. So play some play some spooky solitaire. Okay. Rummy, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank our Annabelles and Roberts on Patreon once again for helping us donate 15000 to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Final reminder for our August charity, as this is the last August episode, go to WFFoundation.org to learn more about this wonderful foundation. Mm-hmm. And then big thanks to the Annabelles and the Bad Magicians uh, and the Roberts, everybody who grabbed these sticker packs oh, for this yeah. year's street team. Yeah, you creeps and peepers. Uh, oh, my God. 500 sticker packs gone in literally under one minute one on the minute. store. Logan texted us. He's like, well, it's been live for one minute, and they're all gone. Yep. And that, that did not happen last year. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. No. But I don't think that did. So it's cool to see the excitement. Uh, we're excited to see those pop up on social media. When you hear this episode, I'm sure they'll already be all over the place. Mm-hmm. I hope to see some out in the wild. I'm looking forward to being surprised. Come on. I remember that happened with Time Suck the first year. And we were going on a hike, and I can't remember what it's called, but that place we'd go before school with the kids somewhere in Spokane. Um, we'd take Monroe and Kyler. Dishman? Dishman. Thank you. Dishman wow. Micah. After school? Uh, sometimes I'd go before school with them. Oh. I would take them in the morning. Oh, after you would drop Kyler, but before Monroe. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember seeing a sticker on that trail and be like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, yay. I know. I had that feeling when we were in Cleveland. Uh and people were wearing scared to death t-shirts at the show because uh-huh. that was new for me. Because when yeah. touring shut down, scared to death was still fairly yeah, new. Yeah, it was really, really you new know, show. It's a little baby. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my God, look, oh, look, like there's that shirt. And mm-hmm. then people see you and they're like, hey, I know you. I'm like, ah, 
I love you. Uh, that was a fun experience. Yeah, it's uh, to, for me for me to get to watch you have that for the first yeah, time. Really, you know, like really out, out on the road. Yeah. yeah, and in my hometown, so it was mm-hmm. super great around your family. Yeah. Okay, now some stories. I hear you have three, Lulu. I do, Danny Doo. <laughs> <laughs> I have three stories. Um, I would say that the theme unintentionally is that they're all like thinkers. They're all kind of like, oh. huh? Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's weird. Nothing that. I mean, there are definitely good spoops in the stories, but Mm -hmm. just a lot of like, okay, that is weird. And I'm really digging it. I was working on them late last night. And even though you were home, Mm -hmm. we have house guests right now, I was still pretty like, okay, I don't, I I feel like there's something here with me. Oh, okay. I'm excited to hear Mm -hmm. this. I have my normal two. The first one's a little longer than the second. Takes place in Connecticut. The tale of Gardner Lake, Uh, a little lake with an old house at the bottom of the lake. And I'll explain how it got there in the story. Uh, rumored to be haunted. So like an underwater haunted house. That is cool. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting. Very cool. Ooh. Ooh, that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. House at the bottom of the lake. Uh, full, Like fully constructed house. Um, and then my next story takes us to Hong Kong. And then warning on this one. I don't do a lot of warnings. There are some very gruesome and graphic, like very graphic, true crime details. Oh, okay. Uh, in this backstory, uh, including a sexual assault mm-hmm. that, that, are, that lead to the modern ghost story. You can't – the ghost story doesn't make sense without the background. Okay. And so a lot more graphic than the typical tales we tell here if you would like to skip it. So that's okay. the warning. That's story two. That's story two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after, yeah, after our you know, sponsor break in the middle and all that. Uh, are you ready to get started? Uh, yes. And there's plenty of time to settle in for this first one. Okay, look at how cute these socks are. Dog kisses fix everything. <laughs> oh, that is, that is cute. And I have a I have a friend in Cleveland. Her mm-hmm. name is Rachel. And she waits every time to see my socks. So <laughs> I met her parents this weekend. And I feel like I can never stop with the socks. They're for Rachel now. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Uh, near the town of Salem, Connecticut, so a small town, not Salem, Massachusetts, but Salem, Connecticut, is a lake famous for a very unusual reason. Gardner Lake is named after the family who owned much of the surrounding land, but it wasn't the gardeners who made this uh, lake famous. The LeCount family would accidentally do that. In February of 1895, grocer Thomas LeCount decided to move his summer home to a lot across the lake. He didn't want to take it apart and rebuild it. So with the advice of a contractor, they devised a fairly questionable plan to move the house across the lake. They planned to jack the house up, put it on wooden slabs, and then just literally drag it across the ice with a team of horses. Uh, The trip across the 529-acre lake was estimated to take two full days. Oh, my gosh. And if it were, uh, you know, if you were going to drag a home across an icy lake in Connecticut, the winter of 1895 would have been a good time to do it, Uh, particularly harsh winter. The thermometer consistently read negative 10 Fahrenheit. Yee. By mid-February, Gardner Lake was covered in about 16 inches of ice with snow drifts all over, and it was about a half mile to the other side of the lake. Uh, if the house were to move there successfully, the LeCounts then planned to move their barn and bathhouse in the same way over the following days. On February 10, 1895, the men cleared the route of snow, gathered a dozen draft horses— the two-and-a-half-story house estimated to weigh 28 tons. Oh, my gosh. A final check of the ice confirmed it was thick enough to hold the house's weight. Given the green light, they began moving the house on February 11th. And the team only made it about 100 yards <laughs> before the house slipped into a snowbank and got stuck. Two, uh, you know, um, d- d- or sorry, 20 more horses were brought in. And now they had almost three dozen horses trying to pull this big two-and-a-half-story house, but they couldn't get the house moving without risking cracking the ice. Uh, 
So LeCount and his contractor decided just to leave the house overnight, leave it until the following morning, and then go make a plan. And then some really bad luck destroyed any possibility of any plan they could devise actually working. Overnight, the operators of the local Falls Mill drained a considerable amount of (gasps) lake water to use in their power plant. And now there's a small gap between the ice and the water beneath the ice because the water, you know, drops. Oh, no. That weakens the ice considerably. uh, And a corner of the house now breaks through, tilting the house up at a sharp angle that made it clear that it was not going to be dragged anywhere. The back of the house very quickly, completely submerged in water. No amount of horses is going to pull it out, destined to slip under. So they just left it there. And the house remained stuck like that in the frozen lake the rest of the winter until it thawed the following spring. And then it sank 15 down into the water that didn't quite cover the attic. It sank 15? 15 feet. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. sorry, 15 feet. Uh, fortunately, the family did not have time to remove most of their possessions except for some heavy items like furniture. Or I'm sorry, they did have time to remove most of their possessions except for you know furniture, stove, and an upright piano. And that winter, tourists came to photograph the now famous lake house. For many years, the attic sat above the waterline, looked like a lighthouse in the middle of Gardner Lake. People came from all over to visit. Children liked to fish in the attic in the summers, ice skate through it in the winters. <laughs> then, as the decades passed, the house rotted and an earthen dam raised the water level several feet, and soon the entire house was underwater. Uh, the house then became a popular spot for freshwater scuba divers. In the 1950s, divers recovered dolls and cookware from the home, but no one ever tried to remove the large furniture or the piano. At the bottom of the lake, what's left of this rotting house still sits. At some point after the house sunk, no one seems to know exactly when the first claims were made. Some fishermen reportedly began to hear someone or something playing that sunken piano. On warm summer days, also cold winter mornings when the ice fishers were cutting and then using their fishing holes, a haunting melody would be heard coming from beneath the water. And it allegedly can still be heard. Even divers have occasionally claimed to hear these melodies when exploring the ruins. Some suspect that the spirits of those who've drowned in the lake now inhabit the house at the bottom of the lake, and that these spirits like to play the piano that still sits in the house. And for the most part, it seems like these spirits are harmless. But a few encounters uh, go beyond simple songs playing in the distance. Some have reported terrifying sights and danger, as if the spirits in the lake want people to relive the terror they felt in their final moments. We'll share one of these reports. That of a young man who was just hoping for some quiet, uh, a peaceful retreat in nature, and got much more than he bargained for during an early morning of ice fishing out on Lake Gardner. Time now for the tale of Won't You Stay for a Song. Caleb needed some time to think. That's what he told his roommates when he'd stormed out of their apartment yesterday. That's what he told his mom when she asked him how school was going. And it's what he told everyone who asked him what his future plans were. He was feeling stressed out, tightly wound. It seemed like he never had any time to contemplate his future, to stop and reflect. And it was wearing on him. Between school and a supposedly part-time, more like full-time job, he was exhausted and burnt out. And for what? An engineering degree he wasn't even sure he wanted? A paycheck he busted his ass for that barely paid his bills? Was was, Was this what life was all about? He didn't think so. There had to be something better out there for him. And as he made the drive from Boston to Salem, Connecticut in silence, he seriously considered dropping out of college for the first time in his life. As a straight-A, top-of-his-class high school student, graduating college had seemed like the only path for his future for as long as he could remember really thinking about his future. Now Caleb envied friends who'd made the decision to drop out or bypass college altogether. Sure, some things might be harder for them without a degree, but they all seemed so happy and confident with their decisions. They certainly seemed happier than he felt. After what felt like an eternity, Caleb flew past the Salem welcome sign. He relaxed his hands on the steering wheel and lowered his tense shoulders. 
He felt better already being back in his childhood sanctuary. Being away from the city and closer to nature, he hoped it would give him some much-needed perspective on everything. They didn't know he was coming, but hopefully his grandparents would be glad to see him. He hadn't seen them since Christmas of last year. A family vacation to Hawaii had kept him away, and his grandfather was in too poor a health to travel so far from home. He couldn't walk much after a hip injury three years ago. Caleb knew his grandma was a little lonely in their big house on the lake. He hoped she wouldn't ask him too many questions about school, which he'd ditch for the next few days. Caleb passed the signs directing him to Gardner Lake, barely paying attention to the roads as he drove the familiar route. Ten minutes later, his grandparents' house loomed above him. The frozen lake stretched out behind the house, an icy plain covered in snow. It reminded him of the movies where people get stranded in a blizzard with no way out. But this was Salem, a small, spread out, rural, yet lively town, hardly the setting of an extreme survival movie. He parked at the edge of the driveway, approached the front door, knocking loudly so his grandma could hear. Moments later, he saw his grandma's face peeking through the window before she opened the door with a huge smile on her face. Caleb, it's so good to see you. What are you doing here? Hi, Grandma, he said, giving her a hug. I just came for a visit. I hope I'm not imposing. Never. Come inside. Your grandpa will be so happy to see you. Caleb spent the evening eating dinner with his grandparents and catching up. He artfully changed the subject whenever school was brought up. Instead, he asked his grandparents about themselves. His grandpa loved telling stories from his time in the army, and he entertained him with tales of his adventures when he was Caleb's age. Later that evening, his grandpa told him, I wish we could go ice fishing like we used to, Caleb. These days, I can't even get off the couch for that long. Well said Caleb. How about I go myself in the morning? Hopefully I'll catch some fish and we can cook them together just like we used to. It wasn't quite the same as their fishing trips, but his grandpa agreed to the idea and seemed happy. His grandpa ended the night by playing some old songs on the record player they had in the house. Most of them were old-timey love songs from when his grandparents had started dating. It was the perfect evening he needed to take his mind off things. He'd spend tomorrow ice fishing and cooking his catch with his grandparents, and then maybe he could face the reality of deciding what to do with his future. Caleb hummed while he got ready for bed. Why are old songs so catchy, he thought to himself. He couldn't get it out of his head. That one song was stuck on loop. It was a nice song, but it was getting annoying. He sang quietly, hoping it would get the music unstuck. Though you may forget me, you're still on my mind. Look over your shoulder, I'm walking behind. Caleb fell asleep with that same tune playing over and over in his head. His alarm woke up at 4 a.m. He had to wake up as early as possible to get all his gear ready. His grandpa insisted the best time to catch something was just before sunrise from 5 to 6. He moved around as quietly as possible, gathering his bucket, auger, rod, and reel, putting on all his layers and searching for his grandpa's old pop-up ice fishing tent. At 4.45, he stood at the door, weighed down by all his things. His timing was perfect, and Caleb already knew the best spot from years of ice fishing as a kid. He trudged out towards the middle of the lake, but not too far from his grandparents' home. He could still see the house in the the glow of the porch light he'd left on. He set his tent and got to work using his auger to cut a hole in the ice. Caleb looked all around at the frozen lake. The tent blocked the freezing wind, but he could see snow blowing across the ice. It was still dark, but the sky was turning from black to gray. There was absolutely no one else out there. Around New Year's, the lake would have been packed with fishermen, to the gills, as his grandpa liked to say. Now it was Monday morning on a normal January day. Everyone was either getting ready for work or still asleep, not out in the cold ice fishing. It was strange to know he was the only one in the lake, with everyone around him still sleeping. He felt kind of nervous, but also free at the same time. He could do anything right now. No one there to judge him. This was time he needed to think about his next steps. 
Caleb hummed that annoying little song still stuck in his head to himself while he worked, keeping quiet so he didn't scare off any fish. Unconsciously, the humming turned into quiet singing. Caleb sat on a bucket with his line and hook in the water singing quietly to himself. Though you may forget me, you're still on my mind. Look over your shoulder, I'm walking behind. Such a sad song, he thought to himself. He needed something a little more peppy to cheer him up, but for some reason that was the only song he could recall right now. He patted his legs, he sighed, he'd forgotten his headphones, and if he played music out loud, it might scare the fish off. So he stuck with nothing but his own voice and his thoughts. Caleb sat for a while in contemplative silence, then after a few minutes the wind picked up, carrying a strange sound with it. A piano. He listened to the notes, not able to decipher the tune yet. He wondered who was practicing piano this early in the morning and if their neighbors were irritated by the noise. Caleb's tent had a viewing window that went around around all sides. He couldn't see any lights out in the surrounding houses except for the one porch light he'd left on at his grandparents' house. The music sounded strangely close, yet far away at the same time, almost like something was muffling the sound. He continued listening, trying to hear the song. It took a few moments, but the final series of notes sent a chill down his spine. Look over your shoulder, I'm walking behind. He'd hear it clearly. Whoever was playing the piano was playing the exact song that had been stuck in his head since last night. Weird. Feeling compelled by a strange urge, Caleb set aside his fishing rod and unzipped his tent, stepping out into the open air. A bitter cold wind whipped around him, but there was no more piano. Where was the musician? Could they hear him? Hello? He called out. Nothing. Deciding to try a crazy experiment, if only to reassure himself it was just a weird coincidence, Caleb sang quietly to himself. Though you may forget me, you're still on my mind. Look over your shoulder, I'm walking behind. Slowly, the sounds of the piano mimicked his song, drifted over to Caleb. He stepped away from his tent, venturing out a little further from the safety of the shallow shoreline. He looked up at the sky, it was now turning a lighter shade of blue-gray. He was ruining his fishing time, but he couldn't make himself care. He had to figure this out or he'd never be able to relax. He kept walking, shuffling carefully along the ice, trying not to fall. Although he knew the ice was about 10 inches thick, at least, there was always that small fear that it could crack at any second, sending him plunging into the freezing water beneath his feet. This time he decided to sing a new song. Caleb, come on, think of something. All that came to mind, or all that came to mind was an old nursery rhyme. As quietly as possible, barely above a whisper, Caleb sang... Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. There was no way anyone could have heard that. Even if they were standing right next to him, but somehow, impossibly, Caleb heard the note to this new song echoing back to him. And that strange, muffled piano. He continued venturing towards the center of the lake. He felt drawn to it, like the answers to all his questions were out there in the open air. Now he's about a hundred yards away from the shore, and then a huge, dark mass beneath the water made Caleb pause. He squatted down, cleared off the snow, tried to see underneath the ice. What he saw made him feel sick. Was that a house? Was that the house? That couldn't be possible. The Gardner Lake House had sunk to the bottom before Caleb was born. It was completely invisible from the surface of the lake, especially with a thick layer of ice covering it. So why could he see it right now? It was clearly a house. He could see the large square mass and triangular roof, even the outline of a chimney jutting out. I'm walking behind you. The piano started up again. 
No way Caleb was starting to get really freaked out. He'd heard the stories that the lake was haunted by spirits who played the piano that sat inside the house, but that was just made up stories to scare little kids. He'd fished out here his whole life. This had never happened before. Was he seeing and hearing things? Caleb continued to stare at the house, listening to the eerie piano playing that song. And then, a tap, tap, tapping beneath his feet made him jump. It sounded like something was just underneath the ice. Caleb watched frozen in fear as the dark outline of a hand pressed against the ice from below. Tap, 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 tap. He jumped so hard he lost his balance, slipped and landed on his back. He tried to stand up to get away as quickly as possible. Was someone trapped under the ice? How is that possible? Could he get his tools and try to help them out? Should he call the cops? Bang, bang, bang! Now it sounded like someone was pounding on the ice with a hammer. He tried to scramble away, but something made him freeze. The ice started to crack. It started off as small fissures, gradually spreading out towards him. Now the music started up again, louder, faster, frantic. Caleb tried to stand, but every time he got his balance, his feet swept out from under him like someone was kicking out his legs. The cracks grew bigger, running towards him faster and faster. He couldn't get up. He lay there helpless as the ice split apart in a huge fissure. Now, instead of a melody, the piano player hit random keys, creating a chaotic song that echoed what Caleb was feeling as he watched death approach him. The ice rumbled, drowning out the piano as it opened wider, the crack finally reaching the edge of Caleb's feet. He screamed, scrambling to stand up, but he couldn't. Something was now holding onto his ankle, some invisible force dragging him towards the icy water. Were these his last moments? He couldn't think of a prayer, a final goodbye to his family, an apology for any wrongdoings. He was too shocked at the thought that he was about to die as the invisible hand dragged him into the water towards that house. All he could do was scream for help, but his voice sounded quiet, muffled, as if he were already trapped underneath the ice. The last thing he'd ever hear was the sound of a piano. The last thing he'd see was a frozen lake. But then just as his feet were about to hit the water, it stopped. No more piano. No more hands grabbing him. No more cracks in the ice. The only sound he heard now was the wind swirling around him, and finally he was able to stand up. He watched in horror as the brown house faded from view, whispering, what the hell just happened? Wasting no time, Caleb walked as fast as he could to his tent, packed up his things, and made the long, frightful trek back to his grandparents' house. The warm yellow porch waited for him, a promise of safety and comfort. As Caleb made his way off the icy lake, the final verse of that song played on the haunting piano, and it followed him. Look over your shoulder, I'm walking behind. Caleb never looked back. What the fuck? That is so creepy. Mm-hmm. So creepy. I like the thought of seeing something, well, I wouldn't like it was me. I don't like the thought of it, but... the scary but... of something under the ice coming up towards you and just like 10 inches separating you from whatever's down there. And weird that the house somehow like floated up closer to the surface. Yeah, it just became like visible somehow. Or visible some, somehow, yeah. So how? So how? So how? <laughs> um... Yeah, that's weird. Oh, God. You know, our kids love to walk on the ice on the lake by our house. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking if one of them came home, they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, just that thought of a hand coming up underneath a frozen lake. Well, yeah. And the lake by our house, you know, we've talked about this before. That woman that drowned herself and mm-hmm. her kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, God, they never talked about, like, pulling the car out or anything. I've, that story just, boom, vanished into thin air. Mm-hmm. All I can imagine is, like, Go, okay, yeah, guys, look, yeah, we can go walk out in the lake. And then you see, like, the car drift to the surface. Mm-hmm. You see little hands. Oh, my God, yeah, so sad and uh, scary. Yeah. I, in the moment, I wouldn't be sad. In the moment, right, I would terrified. just be terrified. Yeah, me too, me too. I'd be sad later. Mm-hmm. After, after running home. Oh, my God. Uh, 
That is so creepy. And specifically that song. Mm-hmm. Look over your shoulder. Uh, I'm walking oh. behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird old Eddie Fisher song. Uh, this is uh, Aerial View of Gardner Lake. That's so, beautiful. That's yeah, a pretty lake. Mm-hmm. Tell me again where it is. Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> yep. That's how I learned how to spell it. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. Wow. That's so pretty. Mm-hmm. Big lake. Yeah, yeah, pretty decent sized lake. And then this is a picture of some uh, some people ice fishing on Gardner Lake. So you can see like the little tent they have. Cute. Mm-hmm. And that's about, you know, from the shore where I picture kind of he, he was in that situation. I have zero desire to ever ice fish. I, yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth. And Too then, cold. Yeah. And then this last one, uh, old postcard featuring a drawing of the house falling into the lake that they sell there in Salem. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so crazy. That this, this fully formed house that they, you know, had lived in, tried to drag it across, and then nope, and then just, and then I love that it that it sunk, but then the roof didn't get completely covered, right? And that you know, like uh, people would like ice skate around it, and supposedly at one time they made it sound like you you could ice skate like through parts of it. Yeah, I probably could just the way the ice cool. formed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, like, are you stupid? I mean, like, did you? Yeah, it doesn't sound like I a good idea. I cannot believe you really thought that was going to work. I mean, if it would have worked, genius! Like, well, how quickly you zip your house across the lake? Why couldn't you just wait <clears throat> until it wasn't ice? Because, okay, for instance, there's a house here that mm-hmm. they floated across the lake. Oh yeah. Uh, well, the weight of that house, the kind of barge they would have to get. I don't know that they would like here. This they will barge supplies across the lake, but you can't barge a whole big ass house, Joe. Didn't weren't you they here? They barged when, the house. Thank you. But they, it was, I don't know how big it was, they, but it wasn't a whole. It was a full house, and they floated really? it to the other side of the lake. Yeah. Yes, I've showed it to you. It's like on uh-huh. ninety five on the left hand side behind this wall. It's a pretty big house, and they floated it across the water. They sure did. Wow. Well, maybe they didn't have the infrastructure there to do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, when was this? Like eighteen ninety five. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just didn't area. have the engineering or the mm-hmm. supplies or. I mean, also like in theory, think about it. It does seem easier. Like shit. If you think about it simply, you're like things slide across. The right, yes, right. If you're like, yes. and if oh, okay. I put my house on some metal rails, I can yeah. push this thing across the lake. Just turn it but into a big weight. sled. Right. But the weight. I know. I mean, it it seems easier. Yeah. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, that's fine. Yeah. I I, I would have been. I, my house is also at the bottom of that lake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. My my house was floated in the summer. Okay. All right. Okay. But okay. Okay. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Fun story. I wonder if that was a thing that like used to happen. Now I want to Google. Oh like, yeah, I have no idea. Actually, I, I didn't look further. Floating houses across the ice, and, and or like yeah, like uh, exactly, like pulling them across. Maybe, maybe the other people had done it. Yeah. Uh, you ready to uh, head to Hong Kong now? Hong Kong, I do. I, let's go. Before we cross the Pacific, time for today's sponsor break. And now we are back, creeps and peepers. Reminder that there are some pretty gruesome and graphic true crime details in this story, uh, including sexual assault torture uh if you would like to skip it yeah 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 can i skip it you can't skip it all right this is brutal fun for me a little bit of setup but not much uh in may of 1999 a 14 year old girl made her way to a hong kong police station oh boy she told officers that for the past several weeks she'd been haunted by the ghost of a woman who had been bound by electrical wire and tortured to death the police brushed her off clearly they thought the girl was suffering from bad dreams or an overactive imagination They're about to send her home with instructions to get more sleep, maybe stop watching horror movies, stop reading scary stories, when she told them something that made them think she wasn't just making something up. The girl told them that the woman who haunted her was someone she knew, someone she had helped murder. Time now for the tale of the Hello Kitty murder ghost. Fan Man Yi's life was tragic long before she was murdered. 
After being abandoned by her family as a child, she was raised in a girl's home where she alternated between being neglected and being abused. By the time she was a teenager, she developed a drug addiction and was turning to prostitution to pay for her habit. As a young adult, it looked like she was starting to turn her life around. When she was 23, at the start of 1997, she secured a job as a hostess at a nightclub and was off the streets, but still battling addiction. Right away, at this nightclub, Fan Man Yi met Cha, uh, Chan Man Lok, a 34-year-old socialite. Man Lok was also a pimp and a drug dealer mm. and just a terrible human being. Before long, Fan, Mi, Fan Man Yi was a regular addition to the group of young women that Man Lok sexually exploited. Still early 1997, desperate for money and drugs, Fan Man Yi stole Man Lok's wallet and attempted to make off with approximately 20,000 Hong Kong dollars. Very dangerous decision. As soon as he saw his cash was gone, Man Lok enlisted two of his henchmen, uh, Luang Xing Chu and Luang Wai Lun, to kidnap Man Yi. Man Yi. He later said he uh, intended to make sure he had a couple of Johns lined up, that she didn't ditch them, and that she give him uh, all the money she made you know, to pay him back. But that wouldn't be what happened. The drug lord and his henchmen soon decided that simply forcing Fan Man Yi back into prostitution was not punishment enough, so they began to torture her. They tied her up and beat her. For over a month, they subjected her to various horrors, burning her skin, raping her, even forcing her to eat human feces. <sighs> this very unfortunately would be where the 14-year-old girl would come in. Known only as Ah Fong, likely a pseudonym given to her by the Hong Kong courts, the 14-year-old girl was a girlfriend of Chan Man Lok's, though girlfriend probably not the right word. Most likely, another one of the women he abused, and at 14, just a child. Chan Man Lok had no qualms about sexually exploiting a 14-year-old girl, also had no qualms when it came to making her participate in a murder. One day, when Ah Fong visited Man Lok's apartment, she witnessed Man Lok kick Man Yi 50 times in the head. Pressured by her pimp, Ah Fong then joined in. Another time, she watched as they rubbed chili oil into the young woman's blisters and wounds. Oh my god! Each night when the group slept, they strung Fan Man Yi up by her feet from a hook attached to the ceiling. In the mornings, they would beat her with iron bars and pipes. It was incredible she lived as long as she did. Though the details of the extent of the torture inflicted by Ah Fong were not released as part of her plea deal, they were no doubt extensive. After a month of torture, Ah Fong discovered that Fan Man Yi had died overnight. Chan Man Lok and his henchmen argued that she died from an overdose of methamphetamine that she'd taken, been forced to take, though investigators would later speculate it had been her extensive injuries that killed her. After discovering she was dead, the henchmen moved Man Yi's body to the apartment's bathtub, dismembered her with a saw. Then they cooked small pieces of her body, figuring the smell of something cooking less suspicious than the smell of burning flesh. The killers boiled the pieces of her body, disposed of them with the household's garbage. Her head, however, they saved. After boiling it on the stove, they sewed her skull into an oversized Hello Kitty mermaid doll. What? Mm-hmm. Sewed her skull into a doll. Also kept one of her teeth, several internal organs, which they stored in a plastic bag. It's horrific. When police eventually arrived at the apartment, they found the very same Hello Kitty mermaid doll, and a woman's skull was inside, just like Ah Fong said it would be. In exchange for protection, Ah Fong testified against Chan Man Lok and his two henchmen, in an attempt to rid herself of the haunting she claimed to be experiencing after this woman died, she detailed the torture that the three men put Fan Man Yi through. Since it was impossible to determine a cause of death, the three men were convicted not of murder, but manslaughter. As the jury believed that though they had caused her death, death was not the intent. They got off a lot easier than they should have. The trio was sentenced to life in prison, but with the possibility of parole in 20 years. And though we don't know for sure, perhaps Ah Fong's haunting stopped once she brought the crime to light... But it doesn't seem that the spirit of the woman she watched murdered, the woman she helped torture, suddenly began to rest in peace when it started to leave her alone. 
Others began to report that the spirit of Fan Man Yi was still lingering around the apartment building where she was tortured and killed where her corpse was desecrated. Allegedly, not only was a spirit witnessed by many, CCTVs in the area started to capture a female form lurking in the neighborhood's shops after closing time. One man, who chose to remain anonymous when he spoke about what he'd seen, later recounted his terrifying experience when he was the CCTV monitor for one of the stores. The closed-circuit TV, he said, typically switched from one camera to another uh, with around eight different locations. They'd switch if there was motion on one camera, but in the middle of the night, there usually wasn't much motion, so he got used to the lulling rhythm of them just every 15 seconds going to the next camera. One night, as the footage was changing over, he saw a young woman standing in front of the building, as though peering into the windows. And this woman scared him. Why? Because while he could see her on one of the cameras, the camera didn't actually detect her. The CCTV was still switching regularly every 15 seconds, which meant it had not detected any motion. The woman should have set the camera off when she walked in front of it. As soon as he got a glimpse of her, the footage changed again to another angle, even though the screen was supposed to stay on the camera angle that detected motion. So strange, he thought. He watched the other angles come and go, figuring that she'd be gone by the time the camera in front of the store came back around again. Maybe something was glitching with the system, but when it switched back, there she was, still there. Her head was cocked to one side at an odd angle, he thought. There was something unnatural about it. He didn't think a normal human head could twist that way. Maybe she was drunk, he wondered, or maybe not. Drunk people didn't often stand so still like statues, so still. She didn't seem to be looking at anything in particular, just staring directly ahead into the window. He kept checking to see if she moved, but each time she would be standing completely, impossibly still. Over and over, every time the monitor showed the front of the store, she was there. And she hadn't moved a muscle. It was like she was frozen in time, he thought. He began to wonder if maybe someone had put a mannequin out front as a joke. That would make sense. It would be weird, but at least it would make some sense. The camera switched around, doing their normal cycle, and when it got back to the front of the store, now we did a double take. She was gone. The monitor switched again, and he switched it back to the other camera quickly, trying to see if someone had come by and picked up the mannequin, and he gasped. She was back. He focused closer on the monitor and saw that her face was now twitching. It was as if the camera was distorting just the right side of her face. Her right eye blinked furiously as the right side of her lip quivered. The rest of her body, the left side of her face, completely still, not moving at all. The twitch meant he was not looking at a mannequin, and his heart dropped to his stomach. Then slowly, she turned her head to look directly at him through the camera. Her stare felt like it was coming through the screen, holding him in place. Her right side still blinking, twitching, while her left side stared uninterrupted, placid, straight at him. How did she know where the camera was? Then suddenly the display changed, and the man screamed. She was now in the next shot, and then the next one after that, and the next, and the next, and the next. She was in all the different locations inside the store, everywhere at once, in the exact same stance, each time staring directly at him. She was at the exit doors, then the bottom of the stairs, then the hallway, the hallway directly outside of the room where he sat. If he opened the door, she could reach out and touch him. He thought he had to be imagining all of this, but then he looked back at the monitor, which had now frozen on the hallway. Did that mean she was moving? Was she moving now? Yes. She was staring, twitching, and now slowly moving her head to the side before snapping it back to the center. Over and over she did this, and each time she did, he heard distinctly the sound of a neck cracking. And he didn't hear it through the security system, he heard it out in the hallway. The CCTV system had no audio. The man sat in the room terrified, listening over and over to the crack of her neck breaking. And he turned off all the monitors so he wouldn't have to see it as well. He didn't care if that meant he'd get fired. 
When he finally emerged from the room in the morning at the end of his shift, the store was empty aside from a janitor sweeping up. He quit his job that day. When he later told his story to the person who said uh, who posted it online, he said he had never been the same since that night. He said that sometimes, usually when he lay asleep, nearly asleep in his bed at night, he would still hear the sound of her neck cracking, as though she were right outside his door in the hall, twitching, staring, waiting. Oh my God. Isn't that a brutal story? Oh. oh. Yee. I have some pictures I, I while you absorb I can't. it. Oh uh, the, the, my god. This first picture is the Hello Kitty doll in which her skull was found inside. Oh, okay, I understand. I thought that they removed Hello Kitty and like put her skull. No, they just put it inside I mean, the fabric. Still fucking disgusting and creepy, but I thought it was this weird like half he- no, decomposed I gotcha. I gotcha. human head thing. No, but just so sick and strange. And then this next one, this is a picture of Fan Man Yee, the poor hostess, Hello Kitty murder victim. Mm. So oh, young. Uh, this next one is the filthy apartment where she was tortured and killed. Oh, my God. Okay, that's not what I was expecting. Uh, because didn't they also live there? Like the, No, I think they just came there just, just to do this. Good God. And then this next it's picture. nauseating. Yeah, next picture is uh, left is that Chan Man locked that socialite and then pimp and then right one of the henchmen involved in this in this crime. Both of those guys in prison. Like the guy on my the, left. The guy on your left. Yeah, as, as we look at it, yeah, our left is the guy who was the 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 pimp. He looks, he has evil eyes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Dead eyes. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Is, are they yep, still in prison? Eyes. When did this happen? Well, 1999 was a trial. So oh. uh, I couldn't determine if they're eligible for parole now. The last article I found said that they were eligible for parole but had not, to the author's knowledge, been released. But they could be released right. anytime now. Ooh. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how their legal system works. I just don't understand how anybody thought that their intent was not to kill her. Right. I, I'm so confused there. Well, stuff like that happens in our legal system sometimes, too, where you just get like – a really good lawyer. Yeah. You know, this guy had a lot of money, it sounded yeah, like, for everything yeah. I read. And, you know, maybe there was some procedural error or something that, uh, or the coroner's report. Right. You know, I mean, the way they disposed of the body, uh, you know, there would be no actual coroner's report because there would be no body to examine the way they got rid of it. And so I guess they could make this argument that's like, yes, we tortured her, but we didn't mean to kill her. And then she died. It sounds like that was the argument they made. Yeah. Man, that is fucked up. Yep. I hope she haunts the living daylights out of them. If yeah, they get me out, too. me too. Even even not out. Mm-hmm. I hope that she just haunts them, haunts them, haunts them, fucks them up. I agree. They deserve it. Mm-hmm. Wow, what brutal, awful people. Truly. Yep. But with that that um CCTV thing, whole oh, buddy. Whole oh, buddy. That'd be a night to remember. I mean, and the fact that he still hears like Ooh, yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Oof, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's all I could think about. I crack my neck <sighs> all the time. Yeah. Well, 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 well. Yeah. That poor girl. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you gave a warning on that. That was Yeah, it's a brutal. Brutal. But it was brutal. a it was a very interesting paranormal story, but it wouldn't have carried the weight had the story right, the if origin you were just like, story oh, not this uh yeah. this guy works a security job. It would have sounded like um kind of like a more folk folklore. Yeah, yeah. Man. Whew, whew. 
I know that's, that one's t- hard to shake. It is. It really is. Uh, I'm going to try and move us forward. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, okay. So I said this before, like all three of these stories this week are odd. Yeah. I think that there's no better word than to say they're very, very odd. Yeah. Um, so not inherently creepy or scary, but definitely, I, I think, that they've been right. sticking with me. And, you know, this is still part of the stories that are in fan book volume two. Okay, okay. So I read these stories, a, you know, a while ago, putting the book together. Right. And uh, a couple of them, I like, as I was going through, I was like, oh, yeah, that detail. Oh, I wondered how I got that idea in my head. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, it's all coming back to me. And they were scarier the second time around. Um, oh, do we think, um, really quick, do we think the people for the, uh, not a blanket, I don't think so. Eric Barber? Eric Barber. Those things are so cool, and I meant to say something earlier, and I spaced, and I feel bad. What are On they our desk, pop, pop vinyls. Pop vinyls. I guess, and they're custom ones made of you and me with I our know. set, and it's so awesome. It's so cute. All the little details. I think there's like, uh, hold on, I'm going to touch myself. <laughs> um, yeah, just so cute, like a little attitude. I got, I got little tattoos on mine. I know. Oh, you can't see my tattoos. A little bit gray in my beard. I know. I love that even like this so is when cool. I was blonde, but it was like I always had like dark roots ah, and, like, yeah. faded down. Yeah. So thank you. So I mean, that is really, really cool. I mean, thank everybody for all the gifts that get sent in every week. It's, it's unnecessary and uh, know, humbling and it. awesome. And, Eric and then, Barber. That, like, wow. Eric Barber's been with us as a yeah, fan forever, forever, mm-hmm. forever. And every time it's funny, like he sent an email, he's like, every time you say my name, you're like, is it, is that Eric Barber? Like, name is like, I'm over here going like, yes, it's me. How do you, I can't believe you <laughs> know me. my name. It's me. It's, it's me. me. It's me. Yeah. And then this cup, I can't think of Helen's last name, but this is a really cool cup that she made for me. You have a cup too, but I just, I'm, I'm using all the cups. Okay. Okay. This is my, like my crystal cup. Yes. I very, very nice. And awesome as well. I know. She made this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Custom. Is it a Tumblr when it's like that oh, style? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, look at you knowing stuff. <laughs> look at you. Very cool. Okay. Um, okay. Now, back into the story. Yeah. Okay. To date, is there one story here that we've told about like UFO or aliens that still sticks with you? Do you have like w- one? Yes. Okay. What is yes. it? Yes. It's the one. And now uh, just being put on the spot. I That's can't okay. remember his name, but I know it was the one that took place in Canada. Yep. It was the guy working on the spaceships and then he like told everybody they were coming back for him. Yep. Went and said goodbye to everybody and then just <laughs> gone. Gone. Yes. That one is such a weird one. I The one with the, the kid, he was like coming for you, lived in like a rural area and he was going from a party to like home and maybe he got like a flat tire. Oh, yes. And he the called his parents. Story. Mm-hmm. And, and still. Wisconsin, like, I think. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. yeah. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do a better poof. But <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's see what is going on here. I think this is a very weird uh, UFO story. Okay. I think it's very weird. And it. We don't get a lot of fan UFO stories, so I'm excited to hear this. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, is it? Isn't it? I'm going to say right now, hedging my bets, 100% alien interaction. Okay. Okay. Uh, Hey, Dan and Lindsay, I'm a new listener who found you when I was searching for something to listen to as I painted my laundry room. Well, that's done. And I now listen when I'm in the car, cooking dinner, taking walks, and so on. I've also started listening to Time Suck. So needless to say, you have a new fan. I have a uh, thank you. I have a story that is a bit different from your usual ones. It's still weird and it will make you ask, what the hell? It's actually a story I've heard a hundred times from my mom as I grew up. I will start by saying I don't even know if I believe it, but what I do know is that my mom does believe it and the story has never, ever changed. She's never added any new details or embellishments to any part of the story. 
The following events took place in a small town in southern Iowa during the summer of 1968. My mom, Connie, and her friend Rini were hanging out at the local skating rink. They didn't get to see each other often because Rini lived in a town about 20 miles north of where my mom was from. As the night went on, the two girls became bored and found a few other people to hang out with. This group included Rini's older brother, Dart, her boyfriend, Eddie, who was also buddies with Dart, and a guy called Mole. I couldn't even make these names up if I tried. <laughs> a total of five people, <laughs> ranging in ages from 15 to 18. Every time, sorry, just before I get into the meat of this, every time she would say the names collectively, Rini, Dart, Mole. I'm like, where are these people from? What is mm-hmm. happening? Okay. Eddie mentioned that he needed to go meet someone just on the outside of town and asked the others if they wanted to join him for something to do. This wasn't an unusual thing because they had gone out hill jumping in the past. Apparently, this is something you do if your car is a piece of shit and you don't care what happens to it. (laughs) Sounds awesome. You drive out into the country, find a hilly dirt road, and go as fast as you can and go jumping the hills. Oh, my God. The others had asked Eddie if after his errand they could do this. uh, The others asked Eddie if after he met up with the guy, they could do this. Now, this is the first of many weird things with this story. And for the life of her, my mother cannot remember the name of the guy Eddie was supposed to be meeting with. So for the sake of this story, she always used Frank. The kids piled into Eddie's yellow four-door piece of crap car and headed south of town. My mom said she didn't exactly know where they went because she was in the back seat with Dart and Mole. (laughs) See? Before I go any further, I need to be clear about something. Nothing was ever sexual and no drugs or alcohol were ever involved. Believe me, I've asked my mom every question you could think of to find an answer to the experience. She swears up and down she didn't eat anything or drink anything or do any drugs. I do think this is true because the kids were all so poor they didn't even have extra money for food and drinks. Also, my mom was never a big drinker and the only weed she's ever been around was probably at a Fleetwood Mac concert. (laughs) After 15 to 20 minutes of driving, Eddie stopped the car. My mom looked out the side window and noticed how incredibly dark it was. No stars, no moon. It was also strangely quiet. The kids all jumped out of the car and began messing around. They were parked at the bottom of a valley, and there were weeping willow trees about 50 feet from the road on either side. After roughly 10 minutes, Eddie announced he needed to go meet with Frank. The joking continued. Okay, yeah, sure. Out here? What are you going to talk about there? There's no one out there. Where are you going, Eddie? I'm sure some colorful language was used, but Eddie went just the same. He took no notice and began to walk away from the car and off the road, down the ditch, and into the weeping willows. They all stood there, dumbfounded, and watched him disappear into the trees. Rini made a slight attempt to stop him, but Eddie didn't acknowledge her. The instant Eddie was out of sight, a flash of white light appeared in the sky directly above the road in front of the car. My mom and the others dove back into the car, Rini in the front seat, my mom, Dart, and Mole in the back. None of them knew what it was, but they didn't want to find out. My mom remembers that it was a fight to see who could get into the lower back seat, getting into that small space behind the front seats to hide. By now, Rini was half screaming, half crying. My mom was whispering hoarsely for her to shut up. The two guys didn't make a sound. Eventually, the competition to see who could hide the best ended, and they, and they peeked at what was in front, of this, in front of them in the sky. Since there were literal rusted-out holes in the floorboard of this car, the light was coming from the outside and was beaming up through the holes into the car. From my mom's vantage point in the back seat down on the floor, it looked like the object emitting the intense white light took up the entire windshield. 
Even though the light was incredibly bright, she could make out the shape of the thing that was hovering in the sky. It was matte gray in color, and there was a single row of lights that circled around the bottom of its saucer-like shape. My mom could only use the words twinkling to describe the lights, but she says that that's still not quite right, because they weren't twinkling or flashing the way we would usually think. She simply can't describe what they were doing or how they were putting out so much light. On the top, in the middle of the disc-shaped object, was a small dome. It hovered in the same spot, completely silent and still for about five minutes. Then, as suddenly as it appeared, it shot off without a noise. It didn't move like any aircraft. It was too quiet, too fast, and the sharp angle it moved at wasn't possible for an airplane. And like before, the instant it was gone, Eddie reappeared from the trees. He nonchalantly sauntered through the woods, up the road, lowered himself into the driver's seat of the car, and announced, I met with Frank. That was it. No further explanation. Nothing. The others, along with my mom, didn't even ask. Eddie started the car and drove them back to town. No one said a single word. Once they pulled up to the skating rink parking lot, my mom spotted her older sister waiting for her to take her home. She leapt from the back seat and practically ran to her sister. She didn't look back or say goodbye to Rini or the others. In fact, they never spoke again. My mom didn't tell anyone what happened. When asked why, she said she was too scared that whatever it was might come back for her. She knew it was irrational, but it was how she felt. When asked why she never talked to the others about the experience, she didn't exactly know why, but she just stated that she didn't want to. She finally shared the story with my father when they began dating. My dad, a huge skeptic, <laughs> didn't believe her. They would sometimes try to figure out where Eddie had taken them that night, but my mom simply couldn't remember. My dad grew up on a farm south of town, and he knew every road around that area like the back of his hand, and even he can't think of any road that has a huge valley with weeping willow trees lining it. Flash forward to the mid-2000s. My aunt, the one who had picked my mom up that night, still lives in that same small town. My parents were visiting, and she shared that Dart had moved into a house down the street from her. My dad's eyes lit up. He was going to talk to him without my mom. He marched down the street, walked up to the front door, and rang the bell. A man answered the door, and my dad introduced himself by saying his name and that he was Connie's husband. And before he got anything else out, Dart interrupted and asked, You want to know about the UFO, don't you? Wow. With huge round eyes, my dad nodded yes. And to my dad's astonishment, Dart's story exactly matched my mother's, even down to not being able to remember the name of the man whom Eddie had met with. He said he always used the name John when he told the story. Dart also mentioned that he and Rini had tried to find the road where Eddie had his meeting and they never could find it either. My dad asked why he didn't talk to my mom after that night, and he replied, I just didn't want to, just like my mom. He never spoke to Eddie or Mole again either. Rini broke up with Eddie, and as far as Dart knew, she never spoke to him or Mole again. They talked about it between the two of them because it really affected Rini, so much so she had dropped out of school and was admitted to a mental institution. Oh she was there for about a year, but was never quite the same after that night. My dad finally asked about Eddie. Dart said that he knew about Eddie from all he knew about from Eddie was his Facebook profile page that after he graduated, he was in the military, then moved to Austin and now works as a custodian at NASA. Interesting. <laughs> um, that's from Nicole. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, we, for, first off, I mean, yes, Molen Dart is quite the visual. So the even even Rini, I can't like <laughs> like their their names are kind of like sing songy. They've like Connie and Rini. Like, what is and Eddie? Like, what is happening here? I just, yeah, Rini Molen Dart sounds like quite the <laughs> interesting trio. But it like, feels like out of a movie. <laughs> it does. Feels like you know. Uh, it reminds me of, for some reason of Laverne and Shirley. There was these two guys. This is I, oh I haven't watched this since I was a kid. Yes. But, but there was like Ziggy and what? But it was like the two goofballs. Uh huh. Yeah. Those two guys. I'm like they would have been like Molen Dart. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, I know it's hard not to just like start the story cracking up, but it is so freaking hysterical. And I'm so great... glad that Nicole points it out. She's like, I know, I know. <laughs> that is a great story, though. And uh, I love the part at the end about like all those years later, yes. meeting the other person and have them out the gate. Me like, of course, you want to talk. Payoff. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and then when they can't, like, when no one can find this road or figure out that part of it, it it's almost like when you hear about these people claim these uh, portals uh-huh. or uh, like a weird, like, slip in the multiverse mm-hmm. where somehow you're, like, not on the right spot in this world or you're, like, you're, like, uh, kind of on the edge of this world and another world. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, definitely, like, yeah, strong, obviously, extraterrestrial vibes on that one. I mean, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I'm, gonna, again, hedging my bets. 100%. I don't know what else what else it would be if 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 the story you know happened like they described it then I don't know what it, what else it would be what else would it be and interesting that they can't find the road like you said mm-hmm. they didn't want to talk to each other about it I know that's, they that's all an interesting dispersed. part it's like okay mm-hmm. now we're not friends like what happened in that moment that it was such an intense uncomfortable experience that they all tried so hard to avoid it going forward mm-hmm. is very interesting part of that story and why can no one remember the name of the guy mm-hmm. that Eddie met with mm-hmm He's an alien who did something to their brains. He scrambled them or something. Frank or whatever, John, or who like they gave him yeah. different names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. even think about it that way. And poor Rini, I mean, Mental Institute, that's, to me, that is such a, a validating thing because it's like, if, if immediately after that, mm-hmm. she is not okay, I mean, what else can you attribute that to? I mean, I obviously, know. I don't know what her personal life was like, but it just doesn't feel like it feels like nicole's mom would have said you know well you know Rini's home life was really tough or she had a tough childhood no there's no indication of that mm-hmm. no that's good it's a uh, i like that one yay good okay well i have another bizarre story for you at least in my opinion i think yeah. it's really creepy um since we talked about one of my greatest fears aliens i thought it only fair to talk about one of your greatest fears which is mirrors yeah okay so our friend ronnie Seems to have conjured up something using a mirror when she was just a child. Okay. Unintentionally, mm-hmm. but did it. But what is it about mirrors that freaks you out so much? Um, you know what? I, I mean, part of it is as simple as when you're looking straight on into When you're looking into a mirror, part mm-hmm. of it was always weirding me out as a kid. And I did have a, a nightmare that's for whatever reason really stuck in my head that involved seeing something in a mirror and st- having something come out of the mirror and attack me. When was that when nightmare? I, well, when I was like a little kid, five oh, and six. okay. Yeah, a long time ago. And But it's like, but I still remember it so vividly. Yeah. It's weird. Like it just, it just imprinted so hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just think like it just crazy to be looking in one direction and being able to see what's behind you and the fear I always have is that something is going to come up behind me. Yeah. You know, that that, that I get to see come up behind me that I don't mm. want to see. I don't know why, but it just gives me the chills. Yeah, that, that concept just freaks me out. Do you ever have the fear that, like, forget about something coming up behind you. What about something popping up in front of you? I don't have the fear. I haven't thought about something popping up in front of me. Okay. My other fear outside of something coming up behind me and maybe even a greater one is looking at my face and having my face not be me. 
I, that was going to be my next uh, question because like that, I, like if my reflection all of a sudden just started speaking or took on its own personality, and it's like I'd lose it. Yeah, oh, I'd 100%. never, I'd never recover. No, no, I'd also have to get rid of every mirror. Mm-hmm. I could never be around anything that gave a reflection. Okay, well, let's find out what's going on with our fan Ronnie, who has a very interesting story about what she saw when she looked in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sorry, I forgot to turn the page. <laughs> Uh, Ronnie says, hey, Spooper gang, I just recently found your podcast and instantly caught that incurable STD. (laughs) I've been binge listening as much as I can during work every day. I've had this story and wanted to share it with you, but telling it seemed so hard. I had asked one of my older sisters to tell it for me because the memory is still very spotty for me. My memory was so poor of this even happening that it only became jogged into an actual memory when my sister flew home to visit and brought it up to my husband due to my weird obsession with looking into mirrors and reflections. Here's the story told from my sister's perspective. My youngest sister, Ronnie, who is the youngest of seven kids, has always been just a weird, spunky person. Everyone called her Sunshine growing up because she was always happy and full of brightness. When she was about four, we experienced a lot of loss and tragedy in our neighborhood all in one year. Our neighborhood and neighbors were all extremely close, so it had a huge effect on all of us. Our next-door neighbor had a sledding accident and became a paraplegic. Another of our dad's close friends who lived on our street shot and killed himself, leaving no note nor explanation. A lady down the street died of cancer, and the man across the street died of a heart attack. Then there was the couple a street over. The husband killed his wife, then killed himself, leaving their two-year-old in the high chair alone until someone came. By the end of that year, we were all a little bit different. But Ronnie was the sunshine we all needed. Being an older sister, the sunshine sometimes got annoying. One day, I was in the bathroom getting ready, and Ronnie would not leave me alone. I tried everything to get her to leave, and nothing worked. So I told her that her reflection was actually her friend that was trapped in there, and that Ronnie needed to talk to her. Oh, my God. So she wouldn't be lonely. Being a dumb teenager, I had no idea what I had just done. From that day, and for the next three years... She was constantly talking to her reflection in the mirror. At the beginning, it was all very innocent. But as time went on, Ronnie started to change. She stopped being a sunny and bright child. She would get up in the middle of the night and was heard talking to herself in the bathroom. Not long after that, she would also get up in the middle of the night, sneak into my room and my siblings' rooms to watch us sleep. We'd wake up with her right in our faces, staring at us. It was rather terrifying. It continued to get worse when one night she was caught in the backyard digging holes. My dad was furious. When he asked her what the hell she was doing, she said, Bonnie told me to dig you a new home. What? Dad immediately hid the shovels in a high place where Ronnie, being five, wouldn't be able to get them. Mom started to escort Ronnie to the bathroom so she couldn't talk to her friend Bonnie. But of course, Ronnie started to find ways around that too. Things went on and on for the next two years, and one evening, we heard her in her room talking to herself. When my mom went to check on Ronnie, she found that she had taken the long mirror from my mom's closet and was talking to it. When my mom went to take it from her, she started screaming bloody murder and screaming, Bonnie wants out! Bonnie wants out! Over and over and over. Ronnie had a very dark cloud feeling about her. I woke up at 3 a.m. that night to find Ronnie standing right in front of me again. Of course, I started to scream, but Ronnie quickly covered my mouth and whispered, Don't. He's here. 
and pointed to the hallway outside my room. I got up out of bed and tiptoed to my open door, slowly sticking my head out and lock and looking down the hall. And that is when I saw him. A dark shadow figure in the shape of a man who looked to be wearing a long coat. As I was staring at him in horror, he started to slowly move down the hallway. I slammed my door and ran straight back into bed. Ronnie was already in my bed and whispered, Did you see him? I just nodded my head and told her to go to sleep. The next morning, I awoke to Ronnie crying. I asked her what was wrong, and she said, I told Bonnie to go away, and she said someone was going to get hurt. I think she sent that man to hurt me. I had no idea what to do, so I told our mom. Mom said that it was probably Ronnie just spooking me into seeing something about, and that Bonnie was probably just a nightmare. A few days later, we got a phone call that our grandpa had had a stroke and was in the hospital. We went to see him, and Ronnie was devastated, as her and grandpa were very close. She began to think it was all her fault and started trying to break mirrors all around the house. Shortly after being admitted to the hospital, our grandfather unfortunately passed away. Whatever sunshine Ronnie had left was now completely gone. Then one morning, Ronnie woke up, back to her sunny self, the darkness completely gone. She told me that she'd been awoken in the night by a figure sitting on her bed. The figure stroked her head just the way Grandpa did when he was trying to comfort her. She began to cry, and the figure spoke to her saying that Bonnie and the dark man were gone, and they would never, ever come back. He stroked her hair again and said, Beam, you're safe now. And with that, she knew it was Grandpa, as he was the only one who ever called her Beam. I never saw the figure in the hallway again, and Ronnie didn't talk to herself in the mirror. One final note from Ronnie herself, she says, I'm not afraid of mirrors, but I am very drawn to them and my reflection, except for at night. Most people assume it's a vanity thing, but I am not so sure. A sometimes creeper, sometimes peeper, Ronnie. Wow. I got chills. Wow. Wait, wait a minute. Uh... So, so this, what are you confused about? Ronnie wrote the story? No, I said at the beginning, her sister tells the story. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, Remember, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, told- yes, yes. But at the end there, when you, when you said, um, signed off with Ronnie, I, I just threw me Well, first. yeah, because she submitted this. She sent the email. Gotcha. But her sister tells the story. Yep, exactly. I get you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeek. Uh-huh. That's a creepy one. And, and interesting about the grandpa at the end, like. That he, like, saves her? Right. Just making you wonder, like, what, what goes on after, uh, in this other place, you know? Right, right. Where people can help. And you get help get rid of things. I mean, that's a wild story. <clears throat> I didn't think that by looking at myself in a mirror and just talking to myself, I could conjure up something else. Mm-hmm. I talk to myself in the mirror all the time. I'm not like I do. Right, right. Like that. I, um, maybe I should not because <laughs> mirrors are portals. I don't know. Who knows? Right? Who knows? Who knows what the rules are? Like when you practice stand up, do you ever practice it in a mirror? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's good because I was going to tell you to stop if you did. <laughs> Well, I mean, who? I mean, there's yeah. Who knows the factors? I mean, I, I don't know that you have to worry about like speaking in the mirror. I mean, who knows? But that's what happened. Yeah, true. One example. I mean, a lot of people talk in mirrors, and there's not things happening all the time, though. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe there's stuff that's happening that they're not aware of. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Creepy in that instance, though, for sure. My God. If I woke up, also, if I woke up to my brother standing over to my bed, just watching me sleep. Yeah. That is. That's an inherently creepy thing to do mm-hmm. i really really want to do that to you sometime just to like i know what a what a terrible thing to wake up to oh my god yeah because you're not doing anything wrong i mean it's weird super weird yeah but like you're not you know especially siblings you're not like poking prodding you're just 
You're just there. Yeah, man, two for two. Two for two. Okay, I told you, like, creepy. Yeah, very, all, very creepy. All creepy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that this story, I, I it was like, yeah, I picked these in advance, but the timing of this could not have been better. We have a weird happening yeah. at a hotel. And I was just thinking, like, being back on tour yeah. at all the hotels yeah. and, like... I love a good hotel haunting story. Okay, well, this is particularly odd. Okay. Um, And it leaves me with a lot of, like... Okay. <laughs> All right. That's yeah. strange. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, like, if you were on the road and you thought your hotel room was haunted, do you stay in your room or do you ask to be switched? Because, like, you need sleep. You're working. It's important. Like, If I was getting really freaked out, I would absolutely ask to be switched. Okay. But if it was just, like, a, a slight thing, maybe? A slight thing, I'd probably tough it out. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, if I was actually, like... Uh, if it, if it, yeah, if it was like keeping me up at night and just really freaking me out, I would absolutely ask to be switched. But I wouldn't say because I thought it was haunted, I would come up with some bullshit. Like, mm. uh, I mean, if it was really freaking me out, to be totally honest, I'd probably break something in the room and then be like, hey, the toilet's not working, like after I destroyed it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. To be clear, mm-hmm. just to remove any doubt from your mind, if yeah. I have even the slightest inkling, we're switching rooms <laughs> okay. immediately. And I will tell them, I think the room's fucking haunted and I don't care if you think I'm nuts. Okay. So you can either deal with me like setting off all the smoke alarms because I'm trying to smoke cleanse the room or you can move me to another room. Okay. You could see me doing that. Yeah, yeah? I could. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, here we go with our final story of the day. Hello, Dan and Lindsay, creeps, peepers, and everyone in between. A coworker of mine put me onto your podcast a few months ago, and after going back to binge the previous episodes, I haven't missed one. From there, I also found Time Suck, as well as some, as well as some of Dan's comedy, so needless to say, I'm a big fan and always look forward to the new content from the king and queen of the suck. Oh, thank you. I know, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. I wanted to share the story with you for some time now, and after speaking to my friend Eddie, who also witnessed this encounter, as well as hearing a few hotel-based stories on previous episodes, I decided now is as good a time as ever to share. The story is one I haven't talked about much since, since, since it happened, simply because I'm overly aware of how crazy I sound telling this story. Most of our friends have called bullshit, but I can't truly say I blame them. I can assure you this incident is 100% true, though. I'm getting goosebumps just writing this. First, let me set you up with a little bit of backstory. Me and Eddie grew up together all through high school, and although we both went into the medical field, we did it at separate colleges and eventually moved to separate states for work. As you can imagine, we didn't see much of each other during that time. However, we do share the same birthday month of July and made the decision eight years ago that every year we would take an annual trip to Vegas around that time as a way to catch up, have some fun, and unwind. Being big sports fans, Vegas in the summer is paradise for us. We frequently attend shows and events and anything we can find our way into. This story takes place during our fifth annual trip. It started off the same as always. Eddie flies into my city on a Wednesday night, and then we road trip to Vegas Thursday morning, as I am much closer to Nevada than he is. We arrived in Vegas early in the morning, but since check-in was not until 3, we drove around and took in the sights and sounds as we waited for our time to check in. We were staying at the Palms, which quickly became our go-to place to stay whenever we were in Vegas. We're both creatures of habit and very much enjoyed our original stay and stayed every time after. After checking in, we headed up to our room. As soon as I came off the elevator, I was immediately overcome with a feeling that something was wrong. I can't explain the feeling other than to say it kind of felt like a panic attack, but without the loss of breath. Just a weird sensation that something wasn't right. I chalked it up to the hot weather and traveling. 
I tried to ignore it as we continued down the hall to our room. When we got to our room, we noticed a man standing in front of the room diagonally across from us, just staring at us. He was dressed in 90s grunge attire, flannel shirt, light blue jeans and boots, like a mix between Daryl from The Walking Dead and Kurt Cobain. I gave him a quick head nod as if to say hello while Eddie waved and said, hey. The man didn't respond except for a very slight nod back as if to say he was just acknowledging he'd hurt us. The sensation I was feeling was increasing by the second, but I didn't want to cause a scene, and I didn't really know what was wrong. I just wanted to get in our room, sit down, shower, and unwind. As we put the key into the door, we heard the man call out to us, Hey, hey, have you guys seen Tim? Me and Eddie exchanged confused looks before Eddie replied, Nope, sorry man, we don't know Tim. The man continued to stare at us with a blank expression. It was more like he was staring through us than at us. We thought he must have been drunk or high or both. Even though it was only 3 p.m., it was, after all, Vegas. We chalked it up to him, enjoying a little Sin City living. We picked up our bags and began to enter our room. I gave a quick glance back, and you know, just in case I had to ID this guy later in a police lineup, and I shit you not, no one was there. A chill ran down my spine as I looked down the hallway in both directions. Absolutely no one. Now, this is crazy for many reasons. We didn't hear the closing of a door indicating he'd gone inside. We didn't see or hear him walk past us. And with the hallway being about a mile long, there's no way he could have made it out of sight in those few seconds. Me and Eddie were utterly confused, but after talking about it in our room for a solid 15 minutes, we decided that in our excitement to get in our room and officially start our vacation, maybe we had just not heard the man close the door as he'd gone inside his room. I also noticed that the panicky sensation I was feeling had completely gone away. The rest of the night was uneventful. We had dinner, walked around a bit, and retired to the room early in anticipation of the long three-day weekend. The night, however, that night, however, I could still not settle in. After briefly falling asleep and waking up and falling asleep and waking up, I must have finally dozed off because I recalled having a dream in which I was being chased throughout the hotel by the man we had seen earlier. Although I couldn't see him in my dream, I knew it was him. I spent what felt like an eternity trying to avoid him. I would run, find a spot to hide, look back to see if he was close, and when I felt he was close, I would take off again. I jolted awake at about 3.25 a.m. to find Eddie on his phone. Dude, why are you awake? I asked. I don't know, man. I was having the weirdest dream. And then to my shock and horror, he went on to tell me he experienced a dream almost identical to mine. Except in his dream, he kept hearing a raspy voice say, Tim, I'm gonna find you. What? We were both creeped the fuck out. We didn't get much sleep the rest... Uh, We didn't get much sleep the rest of that morning, even with the lights on, for reassurance. The next day, we reflected on the previous day's events, but were quickly engulfed in our itinerary and events and tried not to speak of the matter anymore that day. After a long and exhausting Friday being out and about, we retired back to the room for an uneventful, nightmareless evening, which we both were thrilled about. Saturday morning, we woke up, ate breakfast, and went down to the pool. After a nice, relaxing swim, we decided to head back up to the room and get ready for another long day of activities. In the elevator, we stroke up a conversation with a man around our age whose Prince and the Revolution shirt made Mm -hmm. me jealous that I didn't own it myself. We talked about how hot it was outside and the bad luck we'd all had at the tables the previous night. We got off on the same floor and continued our conversation down the hallway before we eventually got to our room and said, well, this is us. Enjoy the rest of your stay. 
Oh, well, this one's actually mine. How ironic, he said, as he stood in front of the room where the creepy guy from two days ago had previously stood. Oh, you must be Tim, I said. I think your buddy was looking for you a couple days ago. Excuse me? How do you know my name? He said, confused. Oh, your buddy saw us when we got here yesterday and asked if we knew where you were. I don't know. I think he might have been drunk or high. Uh, are you sure it was this room? Tim asked. Yeah, on Thursday, I said. Tim looked at us, halfway confused, halfway skeptical, almost as if he thought we might be playing a joke on him. Sensing the mood change from jovial to almost standoffish, Eddie said, uh, Maybe the guy we saw was in the room before you and checked out already. I mean, it was two days ago. I'm here on business for a week. I've been here since Monday, Tim said. There's no one else in this room with me. After explaining what happened to Tim, he asked what the guy looked like, and as soon as I described the guy, the color immediately left Tim's face, his eyes grew wide, and he was visibly shaken. He tried to play it off, but I knew something was wrong. He shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, you guys, have a good one, before quickly entering his room and bolting the door shut. What in the fuck was going on? Was Tim in danger? Were we in danger? Should we, saw, should we call security? Needless to say, Eddie and I wanted to get the fuck out. Whatever was going on here was ruining this trip and freaking us out. However, being, big, uh, being a big sports weekend, all of the hotels in the area were booked or uh, way overpriced. If we wanted to stay in Vegas, this was our only option. The rest of the day was full of fun activities, though both of us would admit our minds were still with all of the weird shit that had been happening at the hotel. We got back in the late late that night, and although I was still thinking about everything, I was so tired, I slept fairly well. We woke up the next day and headed down for breakfast when we saw housekeeping cleaning out the room Tim had been staying in. We thought it was odd since he said he was needing to stay for a week. Had something happened? As we headed down the hallway for a brief second, I began to feel that same intense, panicky feeling I did as when we arrived, but even worse this time. I had to take a second to shake it off and lean against the wall to try and clear my head. Eddie came over to check on me, and I recognized the out-of-order sign on the ice machine and instantly noticed this as one of the spots in my dream where I had hid while running from whatever was chasing me. I didn't have the heart to look back as I did in my dream because everything in my being told me I would see the man we encountered earlier this week. Instead, I kept my eyes forward and quickly got in the elevator to go anywhere but there. The feeling instantly went away as we exited the elevator and reached the casino floor. The rest of the trip was uneventful and we ended up checking out a little bit early as we were both over the bullshit and ready to get back home. It's been years since this incident, but I still run these questions through my mind all the time. Who was the grungy man or entity that we encountered that day? Was he real? Was he a spirit? Was it something that possibly had latched onto Tim? The look of panic on Tim's face when we described what the man looked like gave me the impression that Tim knew more than he let on. And where did Tim go? The biggest question for me, though, was why did I have that reaction to whatever was going on? Was I somehow involved? We've not been back to the Palms since, and due to COVID, our Vegas streak has been broken. But we plan to visit next summer. Next summer. Hope this creeps you out as much as it did us. Keep scaring the daylights out of us on a weekly basis. Peace and health from California. Oh, wow. That is a, that, yeah, that's a interesting twist there where um, you're witnessing somebody be haunted, basically. Like you're kind of an, uh, uh, a side character mm-hmm. in this haunting story. Mm-hmm. And I would wonder like, what the hell did, did Tim 
do to this person and just that whole concept of like if you did something to somebody and then how fucking terrifying that would be if like a year later 10 years later whatever you're staying somewhere and then somebody that you don't know at a hotel is like hey so and so stopped by oh my god and then you realize like there was no way that they would know who that person was right right and then you're like oh my god now when am i going to see this ghost what is this ghost going to do to me I also like the angle that we don't necessarily know that it wasn't a person. There's nothing that absolutely confirms mm. that, that, that Tim doesn't have some sordid past with this uh, with Grunge Guy. And Grunge Guy's alive. Grunge, Grunge Guy's alive. Oh, they yeah. saw him, flesh and blood. I mean, how he disappeared from that hallway, I don't know. But, and also, like, if Grunge Guy isn't staying in the hotel with Tim, like, then what, does he have some fucking psycho stalker? Right. That, like... Followed him to Vegas because he's uh, obviously not from there. Like either way is scary. Then exactly, and yeah. I think that's what was getting me. Is it's like that's terrifying when you really think about hotels. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the hotels where you have to use your room key to go up in the elevator mm-hmm. because then adds a level of security. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that there can't be crazy people that are staying sure. in the hotel, but like I don't know, hotels are kind of creepy mm-hmm. when you really think about it. Ay-yi-yi. Ichiwawa. Ichiwawa. That's our, that's our new thing that we've been saying. I don't even know why. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, and, and then you talk about hotels. I did flash on Cleveland. And I did want to say, since I didn't, I uh, just wanted to thank um, everybody who came out to the Cleveland shows. There was a lot of Scared to Death fans. That know, was very really cool to see. And um, and I'm sure uh, when this episode comes out, there, there will be Texas and Portland. So I'm just going to go ahead and thank everyone in advance. Uh, and I'll probably thank him again for do coming out to those shows. You think you're going to have fun in Texas and Portland? I think I am. You do? I hope so. I mean, yeah. Um, why not? Why not be optimistic? <laughs> I just like to give you a hard time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Because this, this doesn't come out for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last day of the month. Mm-hmm. I do know. Yeah. That your shows in Texas are almost all completely sold out, which is exciting, and Portland too. And Portland too. So at least you know a lot of people like you. Like, that's that's you, good. You can move forward knowing, like, yeah. Several thousands of people love me. But yeah, even if the shows weren't what I hoped, they, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but, but at, least, at least going in, there was excitement. Yeah, they were like, "I really like this guy." <laughs> uh, do you want to do some Annabelle shoutouts? Sure, I would love to. Want me to start, or you want to start? Oh, I'll go first today. Okay. okay, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting the show: Ian, no last name, Steve Vasquez, Alicia Melton, Alexis Malvez, Crystal Soy- uh, sorry, Crystal Sawyer's, Annie Stallings. Bianca McDonald, Lindsay Huckins, Raquel Escobedo, Nick Botka, Kalia Clow, Cody, no last name, Krista Faye Peterson, Derek Losh, Jeremy L. Morrison, Matt Johnson, Summer Stevens, Sydney Hallmark, Hunter Bilbro, Hannah Sedgwick, Jennifer Paul, Owen Barry, Ashley Fenn, Christian Cruz, Juliet Gruca, and Gregory Frieda. Awesome. Thank you, Annabelle's. And I want to thank the following Annabelle's. Brian Solano, Shandell Brown, Michael Mays, Sean Pipps, Brenda A., Amanda Rinke, Barbie and Josh Burris, Jacob Matoka, um, Meg Cohen, Dustin Johnson, Georgia Sinclair, William Varney, Kelly Truman, April Justice, April Justice sounds like a Marvel character. I know. I love it. Uh, I hope April's a fucking badass. Right. I picture April Justice just being fucking ripped. Yeah. She's like, mm-hmm. I will fucking destroy Very you. good posture. Uh, Kaylee Irvin, Howard Peterson, Marissa Stevens, Brianna Flores, Russell Turner, Emily Fultz, Jacob Kloss, Gandvok, Zach Fisher, Kayla, and Kristen Bullman. 
my best friend is married to a fisher, mm-hmm. and that fisher has a brother named Zach. And I'm like, oh, I mean, but, but but Zach Fisher <laughs> feels like it could be a fairly common name. Yeah, but in case it's not, you know, listen, we're practically related now. You have some spoopy shout-outs? I do, my friend. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. I have to Elijah from Christina. Happy birthday. To Ashley from your sister, Christina. Happy birthday. I hope your day is three out of five stars. <laughs> to Kristen from Chris. Happy belated birthday. To Megan from Sarah and Haley. Happy birthday. These are three sisters that listen to the show together. Awesome. To Braxton and Atticus from your dad, Sean. Love you guys. And to Phoenix from your mom, Brittany. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. You don't hear Happy Atticus birthday. a lot anymore. That's a good name from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Atticus Finch. Atticus Finch. Uh, and that is our show this week. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you, Logan Keith, on social media, badmagicmerch.com design, uh, store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service. Joe Paisley for producing and directing today, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, and Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And thank you to Olivia Lee for finding the first story and Sophie Evans for finding the second. If you don't want to hear any more ads, if you want our monthly bonus episodes, if you want to be invited to the TLA monthly horror movie watch parties, oh yeah, please check out our Patreon and enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 